You're listening to a Rock Candy podcast. Hi, I'm Peter Santoscano. I host Bubble and Squeak here on the Rock Candy Network. I tell personal, revealing stories. He whispered, did you just masturbate? Because I felt a terrible presence of evil enter the... I make prank phone calls to the past. Heimbach. General Star, Eliza Heimbach speaking. How may I help? Into the future. <clears throat> because my boyfriend and I are just not having enough sex. Always a problem with the pop sex. You just have to listen to it. It's too hard to describe. Check out Bubble and Squeak wherever you listen to podcasts. This is Sacred Tension, the podcast about the discipline of asking questions. My name is Stephen Bradford Long, and we are here on the Rock Candy Podcast Network. For more shows like this one, go to rockcandyrecordings.com. In this episode, I have the pleasure of speaking to the incredible Carrie Poppy. She is an investigative journalist who specializes in claims of the paranormal and fringe science and fringe religious groups. She is also the host, the co-host, I should say, of Oh No, Ross and Carrie, which happens to be my personal all-time favorite podcast. As you'll hear in this show, Carrie Poppy has had a huge influence on my own thinking, on my own non-theism, and on my eventual arrival at the Satanic Temple. So I am enormously grateful to Carrie for having this conversation. But before I get to that conversation, I have to thank my patrons. I am really relying on my patrons right now. I am working less. And uh, one of my jobs teaching yoga has been completely slashed because of COVID-19. So the money that I get from my patrons really is just going to basic life stuff. It is, it, it's going to bills, paying for groceries, feeding my cats, maintaining my house, it, just basic life stuff. And every little bit helps. I believe in bringing you conversations and articles every week for free. I see that as a service, but I do require margin to do that. And my patrons give me that margin. So this week, I have to give a very special thanks to my newest patrons, Lavinia, Paul, Jackal Troy, and St. Licorice. Thank you so much. I really could not do this without you. If you are listening to this and you're interested in becoming a patron, please just go to patreon.com forward slash Stephen Bradford Long for a dollar a month or $5 a month. You get extra content every week, especially my House of Heretics podcast in which Timothy the pastor and I uh, talk about all kinds of stuff, politics, LGBT issues, religion. Uh, we have all kinds of fascinating conversations. And so if you love sacred tension, you will probably love House of Heretics. Maybe you're in my situation of just not having much financial margin. And if that's the case, 
I completely understand. The struggle is real. The economy is on fire out there. And I need you to take care of yourself first and foremost. But there are other ways to support the show. One of the best ways is to just subscribe wherever you're listening. On whatever app you're on, just hit subscribe or hit follow. And that tells our benevolent digital overlords that my show is worth recommending to others. Also, if you are listening on Apple Podcasts, please leave a five-star review. That is also enormously helpful. And you can also write a little review if you want. You can leave five stars, but you can also Uh, Leave a few kind words, and if you do, I will read them at the top of the show. Finally, the show is sponsored by the SatanicTemple.tv, a streaming platform by the Satanic Temple, and it has all kinds of amazing stuff on it. It has documentaries, stream, live streams, movie nights, some kinky stuff, full-length films, all kinds of stuff lectures. If you're really interested in learning more about Satanism, learning about the Satanic Temple, but also just counterculture and ritual and new religious movements, TST TV is an incredible resource. So you can get one month free by using my promo code SACREDTENSION, all caps, no space, at checkout, and you will get one month free. Please take advantage of that. It is amazing. All right. Well, with all of that out of the way, I am delighted to bring you my conversation with Carrie Poppy. Carrie Poppy, welcome to the show. Oh, thanks for having me, Stephen. How are you? I'm well. Okay, let's be honest. We are recording this on the (laughs) eve of the election, which means I am just uh, barely holding it together. And um, so I've been very stressed and uh-huh and so if you see me have a complete psychotic break on air with oh. you that's uh-huh. that's why so so if i just complete, oh, that's the explanation that's why we're going to blame it on on the election so i feel like if that happens i'll be less concerned with the cause and more concerned with what to do but good to know. <laughs> yes so I apologize in advance. Yeah, so I'm all right. How are you? How are you managing in in the year of our Lord 2020 um, <laughs> on the eve of the election? A similar vibe, maybe a little more hopeful. I'm feeling, I was just telling my best friend six years ago, six years ago, <laughs> four years ago, <laughs> um, right now, I was feeling, you know, 90% cocky, confident and 10% nervous. I do think it's still more confident than nervous, but I think I give it a 55-45 spread. But, um, you know, after four years of feeling mostly terrified, feeling 55% hopeful feels amazing. (laughs) I am totally there with you. It's like I'm, I mean, this show will be coming out long after the election, a few weeks after the election. So it'll, we will know by the time this episode airs, but we will just hope for the best. Um, 
So yeah, so the listener knows more than we do. Yes, that's that's true. We are coming from the sunny past where it might be uh, where the maybe the only thing we had to worry about was COVID, and uh, oh god, <laughs> <laughs> or maybe we're coming from the much darker past where yeah, we were yeah. under a presidency of a fascist wannabe dictator. Um, right, <laughs> we don't know. And, and kind of succeeding, and kind of succeeding. All right. So, Carrie Poppy, I have to start this with uh, a huge thank you. I I owe you a huge debt of gratitude. And for threat of this being an awkward conversation, I really owe a lot of where I am to your work. And and so I I really owe you and Ross, your co-host, a massive thanks because I don't know if I would be a non-theist if it weren't for your podcast. And, you know, I've always, yeah, and, you know, I've always been a deeply religious person. I am still a deeply religious person. Um, I am now a Satanist in the Satanic Temple, but you were one of the really crucial people who helped get me there. And watching your... um, your TED Talk, I think it was back in 2016 or 2017, was really a turning point for me. And, oh, wow. And um, coming out of fundamentalist Christianity and then moving to kind of progressive Christianity and then, and, and then coming to terms with my long crisis of faith. And, you know, what, what stood out to me so much, what really helped me so much about your work and, and what you and Ross are doing is that you're kind. And Aww. there are so many atheists out there who do great work, and I really admire them, but they aren't very kind. And mm. what I needed was kindness. I think what I needed more than anything was kindness. And I found that in your podcast. And, I, you know, it was just this long process of listening to your show and kind of ingesting the the principles of of uh, healthy skepticism that I s- slowly and gradually came to feel comfortable with my own doubt and my own non-theism. So all that to say, you have had a huge influence on me. And so thank you so very much. Uh, wow. Uh, thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, thank you for saying that. It, it really, I mean, when I hear that kind of thing, which happens, but not every day, um, you know, it's, it's really that feeling of like, oh, my God, thank God all that work was worth something. It um, totally it, is. It means, it means a ton. Um, uh, and, and I don't know. Uh, gratifying because I when your your PR assistant or uh, person reached out to me before you did and said, you know, can, are you interested in going on this? Uh, you know, it's kind of like an a, a atheist, uh, you know, spiritual pocket. And I'll be honest, I'm like you and feel like, oh boy, an atheist <laughs> podcast, what's this going to be? And so at first I was like, oh yeah, I'll get back to you. And then I read something you wrote that was so nuanced and thoughtful. And I think it was uh, something that stuck with me about it was this idea of liberals and conservatives and these rules we sort of have for like, you can't be friends with that person across the aisle because in some way they're going to infect you. But the infection doesn't go the other way. 
Mm -hmm. uh, we're not worried about liberals infecting conservatives, but there's this like huge fear of conservatism infecting liberals. And anyway, I think that principle is so astute. And um, mm. I, I thought, oh, wow, that's that's really true. That really is um, both a problem I see and feel like I'm always fighting. So it's funny to hear like, oh, well, of course I agreed with you. It turns out I was influencing you. But at the same time, <laughs> how gratifying to see like, uh, you know, that I got to influence someone who then like really run with it and made this uh, their own thing that is so interesting and nuanced and beautiful. So mm. uh, it's an honor to hear from you that I had any part of your story. You totally did. So I, I wanted to ask you kind of what, what got you into, well, actually, before we get to that, for my audience who might not know who you are and what you do. Tell us just some about your show and your work. Yeah, so far all they know is I'm really great. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, so <laughs> that's what they got from this intro. So yes, I am an investigative journalist and the work that you were referencing is my podcast, which is called Ono, Ross and Carrie, which is a show I've been making with my friend Ross for almost 10 years now, God, um, where we investigate fringe science spirituality and claims of the paranormal. Really, we look at anything that has kind of an unusual claim attached to it or something that just uh, maybe bucks against our current understanding of the science. And uh, and we investigated ourselves. So we have joined 9-11 truther groups. We've got under, gone undercover in Scientology and the Latter-day Saints Church, also called Mormonism. We've gotten ear candled and fire cupped and walked across fire. We have interviewed faith healers, accidentally uh, exposed some of them as liars. <laughs> uh, we uh, went to an ayahuasca clinic in Costa Rica in order to contact the divine. We've we've done most of the things, and then we report on them and uh, share our personal experience. Uh, our hope is that we kind of find this new sort of journalism where you don't get the spin that the group would want you to get, and you also don't get the sort of disaffected former follower point of view either. You get the sort of middle ground of like, mm. well, what if I actually went? What would that be like? That's what we try to give our mm. listeners. Yeah, that's really important because there's this kindness and neutrality that comes with that, but also just like a huge sense of humor that mm. that you guys have in all of your episodes. So all of this leads me to ask you a question that I've actually, you know, even before I planned on interviewing you, I wanted to ask you this question just listening to your show, which is, okay, why are so many atheists and skeptics such fucking assholes? <laughs> what is it? Well. What, what is it? What the fuck is it yeah. about the atheist world that, and of course, hashtag not all atheists, of course, yeah. but, but what is it about that world that makes it so... I don't know. So many of them such jerks. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that is my perception, too, though. I have to be honest. Sometimes that perception is wrong. Um, mm. I know you're friends with my friend Lucian. Yes. Greaves, um, uh, who founded the Satanic Temple. I got to tell you, I had lumped him in with those people. Mm. And um, and only when I, uh, you know, got to know him maybe a year and a half ago, something like that, was I like, oh, no, this is a brilliant <laughs> and very kind and compassionate person. Well, shit, that means that I was I was doing the thing, the thing I don't the like. The thing that we 
always do, but don't want to do. Yeah, no, you're. And I, I kind of had that assumption about Lucian as well. I will say that his, that his online presence is much more acerbic than he is in person as well. Yeah, <laughs> and I think mine is. You know, I, so mm-hmm. here's what I think is like the. Um, Here's the crux of it. I think when you leave religion, you realize, oh, my gosh, there was just so little internal consistency. And I was dealing with so much cognitive dissonance and I had to keep so many contradictory thoughts in my head. Oh, my God, I'm so glad to be out of that. And then the the sort of contrasting mode that you can go into is like, I am going to be the consistency keeper. I will be the person who doesn't uh, who doesn't go back and forth, who really like has a point of view and sticks to it. The problem with that is that if you want to be a kind person, you're going to be doing this very nuanced dance where you're going between different modes of thinking. You are telling people to be kind and then not always being kind yourself. You're facing your own hypocrisies. You are taking a lot of flack for it because people will rightly point out like, hey, you talk about being nice and you aren't always nice in the right. It's a much harder job to do Mm. that than to just say like, hey, sure, I'm a dick, but I'm upfront about it. I'm the I'm the person who's consistent in this conversation. Mm. And that's true. You'll be able to defend that like you you were the one that we we can always get from you what you think. We will always know your motivation, et cetera. That's true. But mostly that serves you. That doesn't really serve furthering the conversation in a meaningful way. It's really hard. <laughs> to being yeah. in that being in that place of of trying to balance, you know, healthy skepticism, but also being a good neighbor you know, and being, being a good human being, because, you know, I live in Asheville, North Carolina, which is, which is super spooky. I mean, it's full, very woo, very spooky. I'm a Satanist and I fit right in. And, uh, you know, even if people think that I'm sacrificing ghosts, they're totally fine with it because it's that kind of town. (laughs) Interesting. That's, that's where I draw the line. No, thank you. Yes. (laughs) Um, I am also vegetarian, by the way, so okay. no no sacrificing of anything here. Um, yes. Oh, what was I just saying? Yeah, it's it's really really hard to maintain that that kind of humane balance between skepticism and being a good neighbor to people whose whose beliefs seem totally outlandish. You know, a, a lot of the people who you investigate in your show are the people who are my neighbors and who I once was as well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, yeah, it's more complicated and it's much harder. I also sometimes wonder if the the kind of archetype of the asshole atheist was necessary for a time. I, I sometimes wonder mm-hmm. if like, you know, in the 2000s, these, you know, Hitchens and Dawkins and and Harris and and kind of the iconic new atheists, they needed to be a certain kind of personality just in order to break through, in order to shift, in order to to shift the the window towards being more accepting of non-theism. And, you know, I I wonder if that's part of it as well. Well, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm sure it is. Yeah. So what got you into this what got you into this kind of work of investigating fringe claims? What made you curious about this? Hmm. Well, so I like you am sort of a former believer of all the stuff. Um so <laughs> of I, all the stuff, it really I, is. It really is all of the stuff. <laughs> yeah, cuz I went through I I mean I 
uh, sorry to back up way before your question. Um, when I was a preteen, I went to church camp and became a Christian. I was an evangelical. And then later on, I was more into like the psychics and spiritualist stuff, uh, energy healing, stuff like that. And so I've seen belief from very different perspectives and seen how they're still very similar. That the, the act of believing has these common themes um, in the experience, no matter what the content of the belief is. So then when I, when I realized I didn't believe anymore and that I felt like, oh, maybe there, yeah, there are secret forces out there in the universe, but those secret forces are things like logical fallacies <laughs> and um, uh, uh, psychological principles and things we don't understand about physics and oh mm. it's not ghosts it's not karma oh crap okay when when I came to that realization I was still curious though about my personal experience uh, as a believer because that was a very compelling experience and there was something really wonderful about um you know, finding meaning in the unknown. Hmm. So when I left belief, I, I started going to the Center for Inquiry, um, which is now part of the Richard Dawkins Foundation, actually. And I joined a book club that they called the Skeptics Book Club, not a word I've ever really loved, but that's what they called it, the Skeptics Book Club. And I was, uh, that's where I met Ross, my co-host. And well, uh, I came there one day with a flyer for the Kabbalah Center and was like, oh my gosh, you guys, let's go to this. And nobody wanted to do it but Ross. And so that that was really like what made our friendship was this sort of like spirit of adventure, but also this curiosity. Like to me, it was like, of course you go to this. Yeah, it's all gonna be probably nonsense, but like how fascinating is the human mind that someone's out there spinning this yarn and probably believing it like that's that's so interesting to me uh the, it being fake is just a new a new detail to the fascinating things our minds can do so yeah that's that's how i started both being ross's friend and doing this work uh we did that and then basically we came back to the book club and were telling them the story and they kept wanting to hear more and more details until we hadn't talked about the book that week at all. And, uh, <laughs> and the light bulb kind of went off like, Oh, is this a service? Like, cause we loved it. And if, uh, if other people don't want to go to it, but they want to hear about it, maybe we can do that for people. So we just started recording those stories and maybe two years into it, an editor came to me and was like, do you know that you're a reporter? Just FYI, that's, <laughs> That's <laughs> that is what you are. Yeah, if you were curious. Uh, and I was like, oh, shit, okay. I guess I accidentally became a reporter. So, yeah, then just ever since that's sort of been my beat as a as a freelance uh, mm -hmm. journalist and went and got my master's at USC and formalized <laughs> that very weird background. And Amazing. Here, I <laughs> here you are. Yeah, so I, I feel like we are of a similar personality type, which is finding weirdness absolutely fascinating and wonderful. And I think yeah. that there are a lot of people who just get so frustrated with it. And there are people who are like, Stephen, why are you reading 
this book, you know, whatever it is, be it, you know, far-right propaganda or something by an alien cultist or what have you. (laughs) And I just can't look away. It's just so fucking fascinating because it's like the human spirit, the human mind is so fascinating and wonderful and, and horrifying, but also kind of fun and wonderful simultaneously, Mm -hmm. if you know what I mean. And so is there anything along the way, what has most surprised you? What, what are some investigations that you have been really, really surprised by and the results in? Yeah. So there haven't been any yet that completely tore us under my worldview, Mm. but there have been some that I was like, okay, there was more there there than I expected. One is hypnotherapy always comes to mind. I figured because of its connection to things like the satanic panic and recovered memory and the ways that hypnosis can be egregiously misused, I just thought the whole thing was going to be bunk. And it's not. If you take hypnosis at its most raw definition, it's basically someone saying, I'm going to convince you (laughs) that something is true and you're just going to go along with it, okay? And then you go, okay. (laughs) So it's basically this agreement. We're going to sit down and we're going to work through the placebo effect together. You okay with it? I'm okay with it. And then you (laughs) sit, you do it. Um, So as long as you're only using it, you know, as far as that will go, I think that's totally fine. And I found that it was helpful to sit down and be like, okay, I'm going to, go on this date with this guy I really like. I don't feel confident about it. He's so great. Okay, so we're going to sit down and I'm going to say to you, no, you're beautiful and smart and funny. And you're going to absorb that and you're going to believe it's true. Okay, (laughs) going to sit down and do that. I found that like um, very honest and sort of disarming in, Mm. in sort of its acknowledgments of its own limits. Now you can also take it completely off the rails, but so yeah, that, that really stuck with me. Laughter yoga as well is like so great. I talk about that. Some talk about laughter yoga, because I remember listening to that episode and just found it absolutely delightful. Also, I am a former yoga teacher. I was a yoga teacher prior to COVID. I was teaching multiple classes a week for years. Oh, damn. Okay. Um, yeah, so yoga is another area of mine, but I'd never done laughter yoga. So tell us some about laughter yoga. Well, please make ya- laughter yoga yoga because laughter yoga has nothing to do with yoga. And I found that very disappointing. I had thought <laughs> I was going to go. I literally brought a yoga mat. I thought we were going to do yoga and uh-huh. laugh alongside it. You don't. You go to these meetings, you basically stand in a room together and you laugh you force yourself to laugh at first and then that becomes very funny and then you're laughing earnestly (laughs) and then the whole room is laughing and uh usually someone will get up to the front and sort of lead the group so someone might get up and just do silly voices or wear a crazy hat and it's so absurd and so uncomfortable (laughs) that eventually it becomes really funny and ross and i would be buckled over just like grabbing our stomachs have to run out of the room because like couldn't breathe because it was just so fun um and then after that like you're just in an amazing mood for like the rest of the day at least so i thought that was wonderful and there are actually some decent studies about how it's good for um you know your mental health and your physical health though don't go overboard again it's not going to cure your cancer (laughs) right um and then 
Uh, I know Ross found speed reading very helpful. I didn't as much, but it basically, even though the idea that you can retain all that information if you speed read, that's total bunk. Um, it can, just learning a few of those principles can kind of increase your speed and your um, your sense that you can finish a book in a week or whatever. And then, oh, and then holotropic breath work. Have you heard of that? I have, yeah. Okay. And I so listened to your episode about it too. Okay. <laughs> um, holotropic breath work is this thing where you basically breathe so fast that you deprive your body of a certain amount of carbon dioxide and then um, you feel like you're high. You have you have these sort of like psychedelic visions and for people who are sober it's probably the best way to have that kind of experience it's obviously the safest uh biochemically and boy does it work <laughs> i thought it would take more effort but within like three or four minutes of my first time doing that breathing i was like oh yep okay a yeah. rabbit is coming to meet me and <laughs> i i had to do a lot of that in my yoga training and oh, okay. I had, yeah. And so I went through this whole, you know, new age alternative medicine yoga phase as well. And, you know, I've, I've, I've been through a lot of phases. I went through my, <laughs> I went through my alien phase. I went through my conspiracy theory phase. I went through my alternative medicine yoga phase. I went through my Wicca phase. I've been through a lot of fucking phases. <laughs> and uh, now I'm in the satanic phase and it seems to have stuck. And so I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm stuck in Satanism for who knows how long, which is great. It's a great place to be stuck. But I did a lot of that stuff and i remember just having extraordinary drug-like experiences tactile hallucinations like epic visions mm -hmm. and you know explosive moods and in, in a good way in a positive way just the most incredible experiences it was also before i was on you know antipsychotic meds so that might have had something to do with it too okay. like i <laughs> i don't know how much that stuff was interacting with my mental illness but oh yeah okay you know but it 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 really blew my mind how how much it altered my my mind Mm -hmm. And yeah, and I guess a lot of my journey has been and not just with yoga, but also with religion has been working out how much of this is real in terms of how much mm -hmm. of this did I actually experience, you know, how much of this is actually psychology and how can I retain the good stuff? Because I think mystical experience or altered states of consciousness are great. <laughs> it's great. Yeah. And it isn't the sole domain of religion, you know, mm -hmm. or it isn't the sole domain of a, of a particular supernatural or theistic belief. And we can still have that even as a non-theist. And mm -hmm. that's kind of been one of my ongoing journeys is figuring that out. So mm -hmm. ha has there ever been anything that's like really spooked you during your investigation a as in something that has that has really like anything potentially supernatural mm. that has actually m kind of made you go, well, maybe, maybe there's something out there. Yeah. So I would say that every investigation that we do for more than a week, anything that's like a little more of a deep dive, um, there's always a moment where I'm like, oh, yeah. That's that's interesting. I hadn't thought of that. Maybe. <laughs> um, and I I mean, I think that's partly a facet of my personality and like why I'm well equipped for this this kind of work. But yeah, I mean, I think if I couldn't do that, I couldn't 
really keep doing the work mm. because you couldn't really give a fair shake to anything you were looking at if you walked in completely closed off to the possibility that they were right. That said, they are they are usually brief moments. <laughs> I have them and then uh, I've I've eliminated the feeling of panic that follows um, because sometimes, <laughs> you know, having that moment will kick up your cognitive dissonance. No, 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 wait, hold on. That's going to completely disrupt my sense of self if that's true. Uh, um, I've, I've kind of overcome that. So usually in the next moment, I'm like, okay, interesting, cool. So right now you're having an anomalous feeling of like maybe this is real okay let's let's roll with that so that would you know how will that fit into the other evidence you've got and uh is the is this a total turning point in science or is this a moment where your own psychology fooled you usually it's been that one that comes to mind is when we were at rhythmia which is the ayahuasca treatment center i mentioned i had not done the ayahuasca because i do take uh, well i take ssris but i take a psychiatric medicine and um uh and that's contraindicated but i did do breath work while um other people were taking the so-called plant medicine and i had this sudden I guess they would call it a download in those circles, like just a sudden, oh, a sentence came into my head and I wasn't thinking anything and just suddenly like heard the sentence, which was, you are here to love, which now sounds so, <laughs> I don't know, cheesy. But um, the next day, the leader of the group was giving a talk, his name's Jerry, and he said, tonight I want you to focus on one question and that question is, you are, what are you here to do? And it was like the, just the exact syntax of that thing I had, that had flitted into my mind the night before. And I wrote in my notes, like my hands are shaking. Like that, it was just that coincidence was like so deep and profound in that moment. Hmm. When I was reading back through my notes <laughs> the following week, I'm reading it and I'm like, okay, you are here to love. Jerry says this. My hands were shaking. <laughs> Why are you shaking? And I had to like keep rereading it. Uh -huh. Oh, that's not that impressive. Why was I this impressed by this? But in the moment, it was it was super powerful. And so much of that has to do with environment, doesn't it? Like we're in the right headspace, we're in the right community, and is suddenly something like that comes, and it feels like everything. It, it feels so powerful. Do you feel like some people are just like more prone to belief than others in, in terms of personality or, or wiring or something? Because I feel like I am that person. Mm -hmm. Do you? Um, yeah, I, I think probably. Mm. Um, I mean, there are certainly, we know there are just sociological indicators of what can make a person more prone to superstition. Uh, and, and the one that I find the most interesting is being disempowered makes you more superstitious. And that's mm. true across the animal kingdom. Like even pigeons have been shown to have, you know, this quality of being more superstitious if they can't sort of predict and control their own futures. So whenever I find myself in more of a superstitious place, for example, I don't know, uh, my 
country falling under the control of a despot. Uh, I think like, well, it makes sense, you know, uh, mm. and, and that kind of helps me have a little more compassion for people who are stuck in disempowered situations. And sort of the only way to get through the day is to think like, well, at least there's a universe watching out for me or a God watching out for me. Hmm. What do you do when you find yourself? Because it, it sounds to me like you you have kind of this really healthy relationship with yourself and these different parts of of your mind or you know for threat of 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 sound of making it sound more complicated than it actually is but it's it sounds like you have a pretty good relationship with this part of you that is still prone to I guess you could say supernaturalism or or pattern seeking behaviors you know mm-hmm. talk us through some about what you do when you feel when you find that rising up inside of you or like how, how do you react to that part of yourself? Um, wow. What a wonderful question. It's hard to go there in this moment where I'm not having the experience. So in a way I'm a little bit speaking from ignorance, but, but trying to picture it, I, I think my, my, the, the first thing I think is something along the lines of, Oh, cool. <laughs> like, I, I guess reacting with a little bit of, of wonder um, or even of uh, comedy, like, oh, wow, look, your human brain, even even 12 years into disbelief, your brain can still conjure this up. Wow, neat, you know, and sort of going to a place of, place of appreciation and wonder. I think that's sort of the first step for me. A lot of times I give myself rules like, okay, cool, you feel this way right now, write it down, look at it in a week. <laughs> I do that with a lot of things, you know, big decisions or um, Ross has a saying, which is uh, the feeling of being certain is still a feeling. Yes. Because, yeah, because you hear a lot from people in spiritual communities like, well, listen, you just know when you know. And if you had this experience, you'd know, too. It's like, well, (laughs) Hmm. great. There's got to be some form of outside confirmation. Right. So. So, yeah, I remember those those sort of things Ross has taught me, which is like, okay, like, cool. You're having this this very pronounced emotional experience right on. Mark it, honor it, eh, come back in a week. <laughs> I think that's um, great advice. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. and because, you know, I like I just said, I am one of those people who and I don't I don't know what it is. Maybe it comes from practically being raised in a cult and it just always <laughs> you know, that that way of thinking just always being inside of me. But yeah. it still catches me. You know, I will for example, this was recently I was watching, it was like 2 or 3 a.m., and I was falling down the YouTube rabbit hole, and I came across these videos of a spelunker, of a, and, and, you know, he would just explore caves. And then it was, it was like really, really cool videos of him, you know, exploring old mine shafts. And then he, he did what I now realize was a pretty convincing hoax where he he acted as if he stumbled across paranormal activity in one of these mines. Oh, cool. It was, And I was like, this is it. It's all fucking real. <laughs> I was, finally, I was like, this is so this is all real. I can't believe it. I have found proof on YouTube. And and then, you know. All it took was just one Google search. And, you know, the first thing that comes up was, oh, here's this hoax. Here's how he did it. 
and uh, this has been proven. Here's here are clips of the audio that he took from other websites and put them in. I mean, it was all right there, mm-hmm. but but if that that second step has had to be learned for me, you know, right? Like that that second step of just being like, okay, breathe. okay breathe pause i'm going to just think about this for a minute or i'm just going to go and take the next step and actually investigate it that step feels still very unnatural to me oh interesting you know it's like i'm just very willing to believe it's like i'm just very Uh very willing to take people's word and and it feels like that next step of investigating and and being healthily skeptical is uh, doesn't come very naturally to me, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. Um, I that's interesting. I guess to me, it's become a bit of a puzzle. Like, okay, well, if this were faked, how? What would that look like? And mm. then you know, try to disprove that hypothesis and then it becomes a bit of a detective hunt Hmm. but yeah I wonder if now I I feel that I've been doing it so long I can't even say if it came naturally to me or was learned now it feels natural to me though so Hmm. there is hope (laughs) great (laughs) excellent yeah and and, you know I I love I'm still a meditator I still love altered states of consciousness and I consider myself deeply religious but I feel like I have the freedom now to wed that with with non-theism and healthy skepticism. I know that this probably varies case by case. Is there a certain method that you use to investigate certain claims of the paranormal or or the fringe? Like what what questions, what key questions or methods do you go into a situation with in your toolkit in order to get to the bottom of whether something is true or not? Great question disappointing answer. Um, (laughs) I think for my particular work, I usually go in unequipped (laughs) completely. Uh Um, So yeah, I mean, the first thing I do is just see what is out there. So maybe that means going to a seminar that that faith healer gives or uh, taking their supplements or whatever, you know, reading their writings. And yeah, seeing what they're saying. So I guess the first step really is listening and and reminding yourself throughout that listening process, like, you know, stay stay open minded, not not necessarily in the sense of um, maybe what they're saying is true, although that is the case. Um, but also, uh, you know, really be present with what they're saying. So you're not sort of jumping out ahead of yourself and missing a lot of what they're offering you. So I take a lot of notes. Uh, oh my God, my uh, Google Drive folder is immense. Um, and I just I, I just write down like everything I see, everything I hear. And, um, and then I just sort of look for what sticks out to me. Mm. What, uh, I mean, now that I've done it a long time, I can look for things that remind me of other tricks, other things that I've seen you know, spiritual leaders use to manipulate their flock or, you know, psychological tricks I recognize. Yeah. Um, what are some yeah. of those tricks, just out of curiosity, yeah. um, that sure. that are like red flags that when you're yeah. reviewing your notes, you're like, oh, there's one. 
Yeah, um, great question. Yeah, so, I mean, there are a lot of just plain magic tricks that faith healers in particular will use. So, um, so for example, there's a woman named Shakuntali. She's a, she's a faith healer with a, a medium-sized following. She makes a very big deal about how she can walk on broken glass. Well, <laughs> I could also walk on broken glass. Um, <laughs> I would have to practice, but it's it's just you know you see people in the circus do that. So having I worked for James Randi for a short period of time, who's a magician. Who may he rest um, in peace. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. Yep. He just passed away. Yeah. So you know I I am I look for those sorts of things like oh is this just something a magician would use or a circus act performer? Those are huge red flags. Anything to do with merging memory and imagination always immediately a red flag so could you talk like, some uh, about that yeah um so anything that sort of connects to the recovered memory movement right. and there's a lot of stuff that does so i i'm sure most of your listeners are familiar with this but to give the close the smallest recap i can there is this this school of thought that you can basically lose a memory deep into your subconscious, have no idea that that happened to you. And then through this specific visualization process, retrieve that memory. And now it's just as clear as if it had happened yesterday. We now know that's not at all how memory works, but it is how imagination works. And um, memory and imagination are co-conspirators in our daily lives. And so what you're basically doing is inviting your imagination to fill in those gaps in your memory. And a bunch of groups use versions of this. Uh, Scientology auditing is a version of that. Teal Swan's completion process is a version of that. Hmm. And, and it's uh, so counterintuitive that that's how your, that, that your memory could be manipulated that easily that it's it's an easy thing for these people to prey on and and really shock people with when they convince you that oh I, to, this is an example i've heard multiple times convince people that their father raped them when they were a child when they had no memory of that uh, is a very common one um so yeah when i hear things about that like oh we're going to help you remember things you might not even remember happened to you that's a huge huge red mm. flag yeah, definitely. And, you know, it's something this hits home. I'm wearing a, a Gray Faction shirt right now, yeah. which you pointed out before recording. For people who don't know, Gray Faction is a campaign of the Satanic Temple that focuses specifically on this kind of stuff that is connected to Satanic Panic. I've done several episodes about that if you're interested. But, <clears throat> you know, one of the things that I've heard one of the criticisms of TST that I've heard, which is all of that stuff existed in the 80s, but it's kind of died down now. Why are you so obsessed with this still? And I think what you're pointing out here, and it's always worth pointing out, is that the recovered memory stuff is still pretty mainline. I mean, maybe mm -hmm. not the specific claims of satanic ritual abuse. They still exist. Those are more niche. But the... the, the um, the memory or the um oh what was the what's the word for it resurfaced memory my brain is glitching oh, Speech, repressed memory. speaking of memory my brain <laughs> is glitching right now yeah repressed memories that's super mainline and it is a huge red flag so do you and and speaking about this stuff kind of being mainline i mean you have all of these spiritual teachers and gurus doing uh repressed memory stuff do you feel like things are that that america is just 
crazier <laughs> now with the rise of Trump, because I feel like with Trump being in office, what once was fringe, it feels like it's kind of been turned inside out. Our culture has been turned inside out. And that which was on the fringes is now at the center. You know, a man mm-hmm. who a man who adored and looked up to and admired Alex Jones and watched Alex Jones is now in the office. I think that's Mm -hmm. true that he was an Alex Jones fan. And then QAnon, you know, the president refusing to uh, condemn QAnon. And Mm -hmm. it, it feels like to me, there's been this inversion where what once was fringe is closer to the centers of power than it has at least since I can remember. Do you think that's true? Do you feel like things are just crazier? <laughs> or <laughs> or is it or is that just a a cognitive distortion? Yeah, I, I, I it's a little bit of both, right? Okay. Um because there is some availability bias here where it's very easy to think of these examples because well, one of them is in the White House. Uh, yes. So we hear about him all the time, all day. <laughs> so I do think that at least uh, the people who study these things and, you know, come out with yearly analyses of how much of, of the U.S. blazing conspiracy theories and stuff have held pretty steady over the last several decades that there's just like there's a certain segment of the population that's always just kind of in love with this stuff. But if you get an individual who is into that stuff, into the highest office in the land, now you you embolden those people to talk about it and to be very public about it. So I think we've always had it. I think it's always, you know, you get different flavors of it um, depending on what cultural moment you're in. But when that particular flavor has infected your presidency, mm. um, it's it's still extremely concerning. I don't think the general population has to have grown in conspiratorial thinking for that conspiratorial thinking to have too much power right now because it's, yeah. it's African president. It's kind <laughs> of like, you know, the racism and the transphobia and the xenophobia and all that stuff. It's like, are there more people than there used to be who were racist and transphobic and xenophobic? Well, I don't know, maybe, mm-hmm. but but the president has 100% empowered those people yeah. to to be more vocal. And, and maybe that's kind of the same thing that's happened with conspiracy thinking is he has, he has allowed the, or he has empowered them to be more vocal and more in our faces about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's probably true. So you were talking about how there's always a segment of people who are who will always be super into this stuff. We all know one of those people. And <laughs> um, a lot of my listeners come from those families. You know, a lot of my listeners, we are uh, we're kind of this community of people recovering f- from religious trauma, recovering from growing up in, in fringe religious settings. And um, that that just tends to be my audience. We're still having to navigate those relationships, right? You know, and so mm-hmm. I have family members who are into some really weird, crazy shit, and I'm sure my listeners do as well. Just, and and maybe you will feel like this is above your pay grade, but <laughs> <laughs> what, what advice would you give to people who are sh- 
struggling with these relationships and how do you talk to someone? How do you continue to be in relationship with someone who you feel has beliefs that are not just very wrong, but actually damaging and toxic? Yeah, well, it's it is incredibly tough. And I first I'd say if that person's flavor of, gosh, what's even the word, logical hatred or whatever it is, if that affects you personally. So for example, if you're a woman and this person is incredibly misogynistic, Mm. you uh, don't have an obligation to fight that battle. So if someone is incredibly racist, it is not my black friend's jobs to, you know, stay in that person's life and convince them otherwise. If they have the fortitude to do it, amazing, do it. But If you don't, that's okay. For those of us who are in a privileged position within that dialogue, so for example, me, a white woman, when I see people being racist, I think, okay, like this is the moment where I have the privilege and the burden of uh, staying in this conversation, continuing to treat this person like an individual with a mind who really believes what they're saying, I have information they clearly don't have. And if I can keep down my emotional reaction of, you know, wanting to <laughs> punch their face or whatever it is, if I if I can temper that, I, over the long game, can actually make a difference. And if we can all sort of make a little bit of that agreement with one another that, you know, you, Stephen, maybe you handle some of the misogyny for me, <laughs> and then... Um, you know, I go and I'm handling some of like, say, anti-gay bias. You yeah, know? the homophobia. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I love that. I love that. I I do think that the LGBT community and I have felt this a lot. We, I well, I can't speak for others, but I have personally felt this just this massive burden to like be the one to talk people out of their homophobia. And mm-hmm. and I realized that I lived with that for years. And so what I'm hearing you say is, you know, for people who are listening who have hard relationships, to take care of yourself first and foremost and to really yeah. let that be the 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 focal point of and how you determine whether to engage or not. Like will this be healthy for you or will it not be healthy for you? And mm-hmm. and so once you think through that and and you realize okay you know this person isn't a complete misogynistic monster um so you know i'm not going to hand this off to steven i'm going to let (laughs) i (laughs) am you will deal with it um what do you how do you take it from there yeah well for me i try to treat everybody as probably a good person and I know how that sounds like I, I know that if I am talking to someone who says, you know, black people aren't as smart as white people, for example, you know, this sort of IQ uh, supremacy. You, you read my article about that, I, I believe you quoted, oh, oh, okay. you quoted Wait. one <laughs> of my articles on Twitter. Sorry Boy, about about Sam Harris. No, um. Yeah, no, I I know exactly what you're talking about. I wrote an article about Sam Harris and and that, and uh, yes, okay. you you uh, posted a screenshot from that article, well, which made me very I've happy. Enveloped that into my own uh, personality and forgotten it had anything to do with you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, you know when something like that is happening, it is very uncomfortable to mm. then say, um, "Okay, this is my friend Stephen. He." Thanks. 
he thinks Asian people are not as good at white people at art or whatever it is. That is so incredibly uncomfortable. And and yet that actually is the burden. The burden is to say like, okay, you know, if if to some people that ruins my credibility, even that's okay. Like because we know that what works is staying in the room, mm. being with that person and being like, oh, hey, I hear you. Oh, that's interesting. That data point you bring up is interesting. Okay, I'm listening. I'm going to look that up. Hey, here's how I see it. When you tell me that, that you saw a study that says white people are better at X than black people, I wonder to myself, like, huh, okay, was that affected by the greater society in which that IQ test was performed? Is there yeah. some way that the black people in the study weren't able to get the education that the white people in the study got. And that maybe that's an argument for helping them more, not less. Um, yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. And, and sort of just staying there and walking them through mm. what has become an automatic process for you, because it, it, it can be hard to remember like, Oh, there was a point in time where you didn't know this shit either. Um, and and now you do. So, OK, why is it that I don't agree with what you're saying? If I can get in contact with that internal rationale and I can articulate it to you, maybe I can make some progress and maybe that will take a very long time. And in the meantime, people will not love that I am friends with Ellen DeGeneres or <laughs> whatever it is, whoever that person is that, um, you know, is a symbol to someone else of bad stuff. Yeah, if Is you're friends with Ellen DeGeneres, so it's weird. it's making complete sense. But I have to say, if you're friends with Ellen DeGeneres, we can't be friends, Carrie. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm not, <laughs> you, not friends with Ellen DeGeneres, you can be I... friends with whoever you want to be. You can even be Thank friends you. with Sam Harris, who, uh, yeah, you know, is I'm I'm glad that you. Br I'm glad that you bring up that example, actually, of race realism, because I feel like Sam Harris single-handedly restoked that conversation on the Internet with his mm -hmm. with his interview with Charles Murray. Anyway, that is deep. Uh, that is deep Internet history. Um, <laughs> but so basically what I'm hearing you say is it once you've gone through that first evaluation, and this is probably an ongoing evaluation of is this is this relationship healthy for me? Like, mm -hmm. is is this actually good for me? And that might change along the way. Like you you might find along the way that this person is is pretty toxic for you and you have to back off. And and so in the process of doing that evaluation of is is this healthy for me, especially, you know, as as a woman, as a as an LGBT minority, as a person of color, is this really a situation that is good for my well-being? Um and can I be an effective communicator to them yes. if I'm if my emotional reactions are so high? Absolutely. And should I just opt out of, of this? So as we do that kind of ongoing evaluation, it's it's really about posture and being willing to to be in it for the long haul and and yeah. engage in kind conversation. And, you know, I've listened to some of your your interviews with like psychics, for example. Mm -hmm. And what really strikes me about that is a, how fucking blunt you are, <laughs> <laughs> but also how, how kind, I mean, you, oh, you, yeah. it's very respectful and it's, and you don't pull any punches. If that mm. makes sense, it's, it's blind, but it's also, it, it's, that's not what I meant to say. It's blind <laughs> that, that I meant to say it's blunt and it's kind. <laughs> okay, good, good. Yeah. 
Maybe that's where the word blind comes from. Maybe. Wow, deep. Deep, very deep. Um, (laughs) Cool. Well, I think that we're at the end of our time, and I think that's a great note to end on. Um, You know, as always, uh, be kind and hail Satan. And I hope that this conversation has has inspired people to to be more kind and to um, engage in relationship because, you know, whether, whether we like it or not, the vast majority of the human race has some kind of crazy belief and, Mm -hmm. and we can't just shut ourselves off from that. We have, we have to be connected with other human beings and we have to work towards a better humanity. And the only way we can do that is through relationship. And, um, and so we have to do what's best for us and to protect ourselves, especially if we are minorities and, we can stay in relationship if that's right Mm -hmm. for us. So yeah, absolutely. Well, Carrie, it has been such a delight getting to talk to you. I have thoroughly enjoyed this and uh, you're welcome back anytime. Oh, thank you. Uh, And may I say, since you are wearing a gray faction shirt, I have texted Lucian, I would say three times a week for the last eight months (laughs) because I've been trying to get the ISS TD um, T-shirt from Gray Faction, uh, which is like an anti uh, boy. I'm making this complicated, but I've been trying to get this one particular yes. shirt. Uh, it's a great Gray shirt. Faction. And he says, no, don't pay for it. I'll send you one. And he has it. This also- so literally our text thread is just me being like, still no shirt. <laughs> oh, you're topless, huh? No, no, <laughs> no, I have shirt. Still don't have it. So please work your TST magic <laughs> to get you your t-shirt. Get me my fucking t-shirt. All right. So my, in, my infernal minions listening right now, <laughs> your job is to go on Twitter and harass <laughs> Lucian, message him, tweet at him, telling him to send Carrie her fucking t-shirt. I'll, e- I'll, I'll email him too. I'll, I'll okay. shoot him some emails. But, and- yeah, maybe- life a suffering mess especially especially right now through the election yeah i mean especially right now with amy coney barrett being being in the supreme court and everything being super uncertain now is the best time to oh, really absolutely. torture him all right well that is it for this show the music is by the jelly rocks and 117 you can find them on itunes spotify or wherever you listen to music the artwork is by Ramakrishna Das. This show is written, produced, and edited by me, Stephen Bradford Long, and is a production of Rock Candy Recordings. As always, hail Satan, and thanks for listening. <laughs>